0: And Tonight we're going to continue our study here. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Last week we were in chapter 11. Tonight I want to pick up in chapter 12. I'm going to do something tonight that I I really, I don't know that I've ever done on Wednesdays Because Wednesday night's a Bible study. And we've been, this is actually the 42nd lesson that that we've done through 2 Corinthians here. And I don't usually assign titles when I'm doing Bible studies. But tonight I'm going to put one there. I'll be honest, I'm really looking forward to teaching tonight's lesson. Those of you that know me, those of you that are members of faith, you know I just teach what the Bible says. If it cuts you, it cuts you. If it steps on your toes, it steps on your toes. If it it slaps you, it slaps you. That's not my business. My job is I've been called of God to preach the book, and I simply preach the book. And reading these two letters of the church at Corinth, there's been some things in there. There's been some cuts and some um, some toe stepping, and Paul has dealt with some troubles and issues. And you know, I told you last week I was a little bit short there in chapter 11, but what I didn't want to do was going into chapter 12. This was just too good to tag on to the tail end of what we looked at last week. This was too good to try to sew in and put something else together. And so, well, it won't be super long tonight. But I can tell you it gave me another week to just look at this, and I'm particularly excited. I I love teaching the Bible anything that God gives me to teach. I love it, but I really love it when I have something that I just know is encouraging. When it's encouraging to me, I figure if it's encouraging to me, it's got to be encouraging to somebody else. And tonight, if I was to give this one a title, the title would be, What Must Heaven Be Like? So tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. And Paul writes, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. God, thank you so much for this book. God, thank you for the letter that you wrote to the church. Thank you for the way that you love us in spite of us. God, I thank you even for what you're doing right now, what seems to be dark, what seems to be dreary, what seems to be questionable and unanswerable. God, I know your hand is on it. Nothing can happen that it doesn't come across your desk. And God, I know that everything you allow is designed for our good and for your glory. God, I pray you'd help us, Lord, that we come out of this better Christians, that we come out of all this better servants, eager to serve you, doing more for you, telling more people about you. I pray that a multitude of souls would be searching for answers and find Christ through all that's going on. But God, tonight, for just a few minutes, I ask you to take this passage as Paul talks about this place called paradise. God, I ask you to speak to your people, speak to your children Lord, I pray you'd give some encouragement tonight, some blessing, some excitement, some hope, God, that we might come out of this with a new sense of encouragement, a new glory, knowing how much you love us. God, we thank you. You've been so good to us. We love you and we praise you in the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus. Amen. Paul says, it's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. Now, the word expedient comes from a Greek word that means to be good. You know, there's there's many times there's multiple translations for the Greek word that they use there. The word for doubtless can also be translated to mean now. And then the word for glory can be translated as to boast or to brag. It says or means the same thing. So what Paul is saying is, It's not good for me now to brag, and that's what we've been looking at in chapter 11, and that was the lesson last week, and even a couple weeks prior to. Paul's talking about, if I'm going to glory, I'll glory in this, but we looked at Paul's not glorying in himself. All he's glorying in, in his tribulation, so here we go to what we call chapter 12, We change chapters, but remember the Apostle Paul didn't change anything. He's just still writing a letter. He's writing the same letter he was, writing. he didn't stop, he didn't time out, he didn't change direction. So he just comes off of what we call chapter 11, and he just goes right into what we call chapter 12, writing it here. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul... Um, These people that he's dealing with in the church that are causing some problems there in Corinth, the ones that basically are troublemakers that he's writing to, I have no doubt that some of them are questioning his apostleship. Since he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, based on some things that he says, I'm quite sure he's answering (coughs) some questions about his apostleship. So the fact is, the apostle Paul may or may not have seen Jesus Christ when he was alive on this earth before the the death, burial, and resurrection, while Paul was still Saul. He may have seen Christ. I don't know. They may have been in the same town together at the same time. He may have seen him from a distance. Maybe they were in a synagogue together one day. We don't really know, did did Saul see Jesus Christ while Jesus was walking on this earth? Was there anything there? It certainly is quite possible. But we don't know what the Bible doesn't tell us. All we know for sure is what the Word of God writes down and tells us. So what we know is Paul met the heavenly Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And Saul became the Apostle Paul. We know that from that moment on that that Paul began to preach right then. There wasn't a delay. There wasn't eight years of study and nine years to get a doctorate degree or a program. The Apostle Paul began telling people about Jesus Christ that day. And we know that the Apostle Paul was given some some great um divine intervention, if you will. He was given some things that it doesn't seem that the other apostles got or it, they didn't write about them. I would think that if they were given the same kind of divine revelation that the Apostle Paul had, they would have probably written something about them. I when mean, we look at the Apostle Paul and we see the great, Pivotal truths given in the letter to the church at Rome that was given to Paul. And then we look and we see the church expounded on in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And we see how he deals with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the two letters that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. So we see all these great truths that Paul was given. But here in verse number two of our text, he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. (coughs) Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Even though Paul is talking about himself, it's almost like in a sense of humility. He's speaking as though this is a third person. But the Apostle Paul here, he uses the term caught up. That's the same word that we use to describe the rapture. It is the catching away or the pulling away. One of the translations of that word means to be taken away by force. We see the same thing in the book of Acts, chapter eight. There is a caught up. Remember Acts chapter eight, when God told Philip to go down the road to the south from Jerusalem that goes towards Gaza, and as Philip was going he came up and there was a, a an Ethiopian man there that was on a chariot, and he was reading in the Word of God. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he was reading the part there about the Lamb. And Philip asked him, Do you understand, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How could I accept somebody explain? And Philip climbed up on his chariot, and began to explain. He started at the beginning, and he told him about the Lamb of God. He told him about Jesus Christ, that taketh away the sins of the world. He told him about the death, the burial, the resurrection. He told him the story of Jesus. And the man prayed to receive Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. We ended with them stopping, and they got down, and he was baptized. But Acts eight thirty nine, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So God told Philip to go. Philip had to make a choice. Am I going to go and do what God said to? And of course, he chose to go and he did what God told him to do. He had to walk down there, but he didn't have to walk home. God went and got him after he did what he's supposed to. And it says that he was caught up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We have the rapture of the Christian, the rapture of the church. No, the Word of God doesn't use the word rapture, it uses this word rapture. Caught up. First Thessalonians four sixteen, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Revelation chapter 12, we have the birth and the ascension of Christ. In verse number 5, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The word caught up signifies being taken away. It is being taken by force or, or pulled away. So we, we look at it here, and we don't really know. Paul says that, that he went to the third heaven. He, he's telling these people, he said, I didn't go anywhere that you can go. The place I went to, you can't walk there. You can't travel there. I went I went somewhere different. I was caught up into this place. And he says that I went into the third heaven. Now, we don't really know what the third heaven is. There's a lot of um, descriptions, if you will. You got those that say, well, the, the first heaven is the clouds, and that's the atmosphere and the things around. And then the second heaven is the stars and the galaxies and all that's there. And the third heaven is that distance beyond that. Well, that all sounds warm and fuzzy, and I guess that's great theology if that's the way they want to put it. That assumes that this third heaven is, is beyond um, the, the confines of space. But the truth is we really don't know where the third heaven is. We really don't know exactly what the third heaven is. All we know is the Apostle Paul went there because he says he went there, and we know that he was there instantly. He didn't, he didn't talk about going on a trip. He didn't talk about packing a bag for a journey. All we know is that one minute he was here, and the next minute he was in the third heaven, and he was there. Instantly. It's just the same for the children of God. When we die in this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We close our eyes in this life, and at that exact moment, we open our eyes and we see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to lay in a tomb for a few hundred years or a few a few dozen years or anything else, we don't have to wait for somebody to come get us. We don't have a long journey wherever this place called paradise is. At the moment we close our eyes as children of God in this life, we open our eyes and immediately we're looking upon the one who shed his precious blood that we might spend all of eternity with him and the Father in this place. Paul repeats himself again, speaking third person. Verse number three, he says, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul said, I may have been in my body. I'm really not sure. To be honest, I don't know if I was or not. The place I was at was substantial. The floor was real. Nothing moved. It wasn't a dream. It's not like some fog. It wasn't something I was thinking. I was in a very real place. I had all the faculties of my body. I could feel, I I could see, I, I could hear. Um, he, he says, I, I can remember what happened. He, he said, I, it's like I was in my body. I may have been in my body. To be honest, I'm not really sure if I was in my body or not. He says, I may have been out of my body, but it really doesn't matter. See, here's what it tells me. It tells me that whether he was in his body or out of his body, it made no difference. He was fully at home in the place where he was. He was very comfortable in the place where the Lord took him. It wasn't weird. It wasn't some kind of uncomfortable something. He wasn't like some kind of cosmic spirit Floating around there, done lost his body, lost in space, hoping to find itself. He, he was very comfortable where he was at. Now, see, Ezekiel had a similar experience in being caught up. Chapter 8 and verse number 3 He put forth the form of a hand, took me by the lock of mine head. The Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God. Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. John had the same kind of experiences there when he wrote the book of Revelation. God gave him visions. God allowed him to see some things. Revelation chapter 4, he said in verse number 2, immediately I was in the Spirit. So he says, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He said, it was to look upon Like a jasper. And I want you to understand the wording and the terminology. We talk about this place of jasper walls and onyx and and gates, 12 12 gates, each one of a single pearl. But I want you to understand the wording that he said was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. He doesn't say that there's jasper. He doesn't say that, that there's an emerald. What he says is it was like that. What this is telling me is that he sees stuff that's so beautiful, he's just trying to grasp for words. He's just looking for something to try to describe how beautiful this place is. He's never seen anything like it before. And he's standing there in awe, and he says, Man, the walls are like Jasper. This place is absolutely amazing, and he's trying To describe it, he says in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 4, that round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. See, he heard some noises too. We'll look at that in a minute. But it says that there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. See, even the water is so pure. Even the water is so glorious, so beautiful. He doesn't even know how to describe the sea. He said, man, it was like a giant crystal bowl just looking at it. He says, like unto crystal and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, Full of eyes before and behind. So John gives us some details about his experience in Revelation chapter 21. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then the rest of the chapter, you can read it there in chapter 21. He goes on and describes what he saw. So what Paul is telling us here is that he was caught away. It means he was taken away by force to a place that was so real, he couldn't tell if he was in the body or out of the body, but he knew this. He was at home in his surroundings. See, the same thing happens when the children of God leave this world. We're going to leave this old earthly body one of these days. Hebrews 9 says, It's appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment one of these days, unless the rapture happens before that time, every one of us is going to check out of this old body. We're going to leave this body, and we're going to be carried away so fast that we won't even know we went on a trip. We're going to go from here to there just that fast. At the moment that we close our eyes, the, the one second we're right here, and the next second we're right there. There's nothing to be feared in death for the child of God. All it is is a step up to a much better place. The fact is, we're not going to be in our body when we go to that place. If we die on this earth, this old shell is going to stay here for a while. They're going to put it in the ground and have a funeral, and they're going to talk over us, and they're going to talk about how good or bad you did. But they are going to say this about the child of God. This isn't goodbye. This is just I'll see you later, because right now he's in glory. See, At the rapture, the bodies of the saints, it says that they're going to rise first. They're going to be reunited with their bodies. That means they're already in heaven now. They're going to be reunited with this old body, but it ain't going to be this old body. It's going to be a resurrected body in the image of Jesus Christ, a body that will never be sick, a body that will never hurt, a body that will never deal with pollen and lose its voice and have to cough, a body that won't ever suffer any kind of heartaches, any kind of pain whatsoever, will never suffer loss so it'll never suffer separation. But right now, our loved ones that have gone on before us, they're in the presence of God. They are having an outer body experience with inner body faculties. They don't know if they've got their body or not. It's just as real to them where they are as it is to you and I standing right here right now. So Paul says, it was so real that I couldn't tell if I was in my body or if I was out of my body. But here's one thing I do know I was caught up into paradise. <laughs> he said, and I heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. So what is this place called paradise? Well, Jesus told the thief over there on that old cross when he was said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He said, Today. That means here in just a little bit, in just a few minutes, not because of any works, not because of anything that you've done, not because you've earned it, not because you deserved it, but because you've trusted on me. And Jesus said, Today, here in just a little bit, you're going to be with me in paradise. I ain't going to be alone in paradise. Jesus said, You'll be with me in paradise. So, see, John tried to describe what he saw in the book of Revelation, but All he could do is use the things that he saw. He could use things on earth that appear beautiful. He's trying to describe this majestic place that we call home. This place is called paradise. And he can't even come up with the words. You think about Jesus said, you believe in God. Believe also in me, said in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, this, this place that, that Jesus is talking about, this place called paradise, is home. It's a place that we as children of God can call home. From the moment we get there, we are at home. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus sent a letter to the church at Ephesus and he told them in verse number 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paul says, I was in paradise. I can only imagine what he must have seen. I can only imagine... What he must have heard because he said that the words that I heard, the things that I heard were unspeakable. It was, it's not lawful for a man to utter. This word that he uses here, unspeakable, this is the only place in all of the Bible that this Greek word is used. Three times in the New Testament, we see the English word translated in the King James Bible, unspeakable. But the other two times are a different word. This is the only time we find this Greek word right here that Paul uses. And the word that he uses can be translated to mean inexpressible. Paul says, the things that I heard when I was in paradise, there ain't no words to describe to you. It is inexpressible. I can't even begin. John tried to use onyx and sapphire and crystal seas and gold. John tried to use things to describe what he saw. Paul says, I'm telling you the things that I heard are inexpressible. My vocabulary, the human vocabulary, does not contain a word to even begin to express to you or explain to you the beauty and the majesty of the things that I heard in this place. He said, if I could come up with a word to even attempt it, it's not lawful for me to do it. Now, you've got to understand that the context of the words is important. He's not talking about the laws and the laws of God or even the laws of man. That Greek word lawful breaks down to a word that means to be right. So what Paul says is even if I could think of some kind of word, it wouldn't be right to give it to you because it wouldn't do it any justice. You know, it would, it would be a word that you would take and you would use, but to be honest, no matter what I told you, it wouldn't begin to compare to what I really heard. You know, I was trying to think of a way to describe it, and, and I, I thought about most all of us has been on some kind of vacation somewhere. We, we've been in the mountains somewhere, we've been at a lake somewhere, you may have been in another country somewhere, and you saw something that was just so beautiful. You, you'll never forget that, that breathtaking moment. I remember in the years of traveling as a professional archer, I had the, the great fortune to go to Colorado, New Mexico, Montana, I've hunted elk in some beautiful, beautiful places and man I remember watching the sunrise in the Rocky Mountains or the sun set. And I remember looking out across those rolling mountains and little fog laying in the bottom and a little ray of light. And I mean it was some of the most beautiful sights that I believe my eyes have ever beheld. And I used to hunt with my camera, you know we didn't have them on our phones then. Had a thirty five millimeter with a zoom lens on my hip. I always kept it with me and I, I took pictures, man, I remember I would see stuff. It was so beautiful. And, man, it just like it rolled on forever. And I would take pictures. It would be the greatest pictures. Of course, you know, it wasn't like today. You couldn't look at them. You had to wait till you got back home a couple of weeks later and go get your film developed. And I just lost all the younger crowd because they they're like, what in the world are they talking about? What do you mean you can't look at your picture? Well, you just trust me on this one. We had to carry it to the drugstore, and they had to develop your film. And it took three or four days, and you'd go get them back. And then you could see your pictures. And I remember I would take those pictures, and you're thumbing through, looking for that one you want to show somebody, and you would thumb right past it. Because even in a picture, it couldn't begin to capture what you saw. You, You had this image of this beautiful place of the rolling mountains and this incredible sight. And then you had this picture that did no justice at all to what you're trying to tell people. That's what Paul is saying about what he heard. He said, if I had a picture, if I had something I could give you, it wouldn't do any justice because what I heard is absolutely unspeakable. Paul is describing what he heard, and he says, there's not a word even in the human vocabulary to describe what I heard. Now, the fact is, God has given us really very little information about this place called paradise. He he's given us very little information other than what he's seen and heard. There's really no way for us to grasp it. God has just simply shown men that we are limited by our human knowledge and we can't begin to understand, but what we do know is that as children of God, one of these days we're going to walk into paradise and we're going to see things that are too beautiful for our eyes to even behold. We're going to hear things that we don't even have words to explain. There's a place waiting for us that we're going to walk into the presence of God. We're going to see the face of Jesus Christ. We're going to see all of our family members that's going on before us. We're going to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all the apostles and all these people. We're all going to gather together, praising praises unto the Lamb of God, but we are going to see and hear things that we can't even begin to understand. Our finite mind can't even begin to comprehend The things that God has prepared for those that love Him. God simply says you have the promise, but for the experience, you're just going to have to wait till you get there. That alone is worth being saved for. That alone, just knowing I get to go to that place. Not to mention all that God's already done for me in this life. Paul says, I saw some things. Paul says, I heard some things. Paul couldn't even describe them. I know you've probably heard this before, but you're going to get to hear it again because I've been thinking about it most of the day. God spent six days in creation on the seventh day he rested. I think about those mountains that we were just talking about and the seas and the sunrises and the sunsets and the things that we've all seen. You've been to all the different places. Think of all the beauty. Last night, Paul Hutchins and I, we, we were talking about camps and different things and we we got back to his house, it was about 10.30 last night. We were standing outside and looking at the stars. And man, it's just absolutely amazing to look at what God has done. And then you stop and you think about all that beauty and all this there. And God spoke, spoke all of that into existence in five days. He prepared all of it before He put us here, which means He did all that for us, just so that when He put us here, we'd already have the beauty there. In five days, God, with the breath of His mouth, simply spoke all of that into creation. Now, God never repeats Himself. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. That means God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is without limitations, and God never repeats duplicates himself. He has no reason to. He is infinite. He can come up with things over and over. You think of all the people that have lived and all the ones that will never live. He'll never match a DNA. He'll never match a set of fingerprints. Every one of us are made With our own individual. God never has to repeat himself. The same is true in the things he does for us. You think of Moses. The reason Moses got in trouble. The reason he didn't get to see the promised land. Is because they had a problem. They were thirsty. They needed water. God told him to smite the rock. And he smote the rock. And the water gushed out of it. God doesn't need to do the same thing again. So the next time he told him to speak to the rock. Moses did the human thing to do. And he smote the rock again. And he was punished for that. God doesn't do the same thing twice. He doesn't have to. Maybe you've been in a situation before. Maybe you've been in a financial situation before. Maybe your family's been in problems before. Maybe you've had issues arise before, and God made a way out of no way. God showed up and did the unthinkable for you. God made a path. God gave you something to do, and you did what you were supposed to do, and God delivered you from your problem. Can I tell you, if you ever face a similar situation again, don't go back and do what you did last time that got you out of it At the end of it, you go back to what you did at the beginning. You seek God's face, and God will come up with a way. He will give you a way to deliver it. God doesn't have to repeat himself. God is infinite and all-knowing, and he's not limited by anything. So here's my thought. In five days, he spoke all of this. All that you can see, all the beauty, all our most powerful telescopes can't see the end of the universe. We can't see the galaxies. We cannot see with our greatest minds and our most intelligent inventions. We cannot see all that God has already done. We have explored just a finite fraction of the ocean we can go jump in it we can get in it we got submarines that can dive in it we can't begin to go to the bottom of the ocean floor there's stuff down there that no man has ever seen and probably never will unless god decides to show it so god has things beneath us and things above us that are so great we can't even comprehend it and he spoke it into existence in five days for two thousand years <laughs> Woo. He's been working on this place called paradise. (laughs) For 2,000 years, he's been working on this place we call home. He's been working on this place that John tried to describe back here in the book, and he couldn't even describe it then. What must it be like? What in the world does God have in store for those that love him? Man, i tell you what. That little passage alone is enough to carry me through about a month's worth of coronavirus. People can keep their depression and all this there. I'm telling you, there's something waiting on us. And, and you know, I was telling Robin tonight before I left, I said, you know what's amazing to me is God's timing. God's timing. This is the 42nd lesson, and we've missed some Wednesday night, done some wanna car races and some different stuff, which means I've been teaching now through 2 Corinthians, at least a year, and we've looked at all kinds of things in the church, and we've been scolded some. We've got our, our little legs switched some. We, we've got our toes stepped on some. But God worked it all out to whenever it started in the times we missed to right now in the midst, to be honest, when I feel like I need some encouragement. I need a little pick. I need some help. I'm looking out at empty seats, and I'm sick of looking at empty seats, I want to see my brothers and my sisters. I want to see my family. I need a little help. I need a little encouragement. God just happened to work it out. (laughs) Yeah, just coincidence, right? That's what it had to be. Happened to work it out where tonight I get to read in this letter where the Apostle Paul says, I've been to a place where you're going. (laughs) I saw your home. (laughs) You ain't going to believe it. It's so real, I don't even know if I was in my body or out of my body, but it doesn't matter. It was just as real. He said, I heard things. Whew. You're just going to have to wait till you get there. <laughs> there ain't no way I can begin to describe it. Paul one of the most educated men in the New Testament. Man, he was raised with the best of the best of everything. He says, I don't even have a word. The English vocabulary can't describe the things that you're going to hear, but I can tell you this, it's a place you can call home. It's the place when you check out of here, that when you close your eyes here, you're going to open your eyes there, and forever we will be, we'll be with the Lord in this place called home. Well, I know there's some more teaching right there. I got a little bit more right here, but I'll be honest, I can't think of a better place to just stop right there. I can't think of a better thing to do than just pull up right there and leave you sitting in a place called home, leave you sitting in a place called paradise, just trying to think about some jasper walls and some onyx and a crystal sea sitting out in front of you. Just try to think about 12 gates, and each gate is of a single pearl, and think about the foundations of the wall. Think about the face of Jesus Christ. Think about when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. I can't think of a better place. The end of Wednesday night study then right here standing in the middle of paradise. So we're just going to leave it right about here, Lord willing. We'll pick up next week, and we'll look right here at verse number 5. But for tonight, we're just going to stay right here in this little place called paradise. So I'll just tell you, be encouraged. Be encouraged. There's a promise. We have a promise. One day soon, we're going to stand in the promised land. The children of Israel, they had to wander a little while, too. They ended up in the promised land. It doesn't really matter what it takes to get there one day soon. One day soon enough, eyes are going to see and ears are going to hear the things which God has prepared for those that love Him. God bless you. I hope you have an absolutely amazing evening. I hope you just spend a little bit of time dwelling in paradise. Just be, be encouraged. Read a little bit. I hope to see you back right here Sunday morning. We'll do it on live stream again one more time. I'd ask you to be in prayer. God, move this stuff out of the way. I can only imagine where you are, not getting to come to church, not even get to be in here. God's still God, and he's big enough. One day soon, we're going to gather together in here, and we're going to have a worship celebration. But for tonight, just bask in this place called paradise. God bless you. I love you.